And here we go, everybody. Another edition of Jamal About Sports coming at you on a Wednesday, July 10th, 2019. Kicking off the show, another star by Stevie Wonder off the seminal album Songs in the Key of Life. As always, I'm your host, Jamal Hayden. We've got a big show to get to on this all-star break edition of Jamal About Sports. We've got... uh, First half recap uh, around Major League Baseball, specifically around the disaster that is the New York Mets. Uh, we'll also take a little bit of a deep dive on the Yankees. And uh, despite their, uh, I believe, AL best uh, record, uh, some things that may uh, crop up here and, and bite them uh, when it comes time to uh, for, for the playoffs. And we'll also take a look around the NBA as uh, we hadn't done a show since the uh, the big free agent frenzy that occurred. Um, and then also now there's uh, been some summer league games. The Knicks have played three. Uh, and we'll get to uh, some of my uh, analysis after watching those summer league games, particularly around uh, first pick R.J. Barrett. Uh, but we begin with uh, the NBA. And... Um, We'll look at, uh, well, so the big, obviously the big moves were KD, Kevin Durant, uh, who likely is going to miss all of next year. Uh, There was a report yesterday now that he may in fact come back at some point next year. But I think uh, in all likelihood he's going to miss all of next year. Um, And then Kyrie Irving going to the Nets. They also brought on DeAndre Jordan. Um, who is known to be a good friend of Kevin Durant's. That was one of the reasons why the Knicks, when they made the Porzingis trade last year with Dallas, uh, wanted him included in the deal because they thought that he would be able to help lure Kevin Durant to the Knicks. Um, So that means that the Nets then got rid of D'Angelo Russell, traded him to Golden State, got a first-round pick, which will uh, likely be a very late first-round pick because Golden State's not going to be in the lottery anytime soon, despite the fact that they lost Kevin Durant and despite the fact that Klay Thompson is going to be out for a while. Um, But Golden State pairing D'Angelo Russell with... uh, with um, Stephen Curry is actually a very smart move because, um, listen, now Curry can play off the ball more. Um, those guys can kind of, you know, look, the, the NBA is different these days. You know, you used to have your traditional point guard, your tradi- traditional shooting guard, small forward, power forward, center. Those days are long gone. It's very much positionless basketball in a lot of ways. Now, look, you still need somebody, in, in my opinion, who can control the tempo of a game, penetrate, set up teammates for easy buckets, for open shots. You still need a point guard in that regard. Um, but Russell can do that, and start, and Curry can do that. So they can kind of flip-flop. Um, you know, look, I would, you know, uh, Russell's a very good pick-and-roll player. They don't really play that style so much in Golden State the way the rest of the league does. They're more of a share the ball, move the ball around, the, you know, the perimeter and get the best possible shot. But look, you know, we've talked about Russell a lot on the show the last year. You know, he made tremendous strides um, from his what looked to be like one of the all-time busts in NBA draft history to being a guy averaged 21 points for a, Nets, a resurgent Nets team that made the playoffs last year. So I think Golden State will be a very good spot for him. Um, so... Uh, I would not count Golden State out just yet. I mean, you're going to put him in the same backcourt with Curry. They're adding, you know, they still have Draymond Green. And then who are they? They're, they are also getting somebody 
pretty good, and I forgot who it is now. Oh, uh, not, well, I mean, again, a young ascending player in Willie Cauley-Stein that they're getting from Sacramento. Um, I, again, I'm not counting Golden State out just yet. But so the big news was the Nets getting those guys, uh, getting rid of D'Angelo Russell. Uh, they had already gotten rid of, I believe, uh, Alan Crabb, which is a good move by them to free up some cap space. Look, the Nets are clearly swinging for the fences here. I'm on record as saying I wouldn't touch Kyrie Irving with a 10-foot pole. Uh, we all know the Celtics, about nine guys on that team, as far as his teammates are concerned, would have gladly driven him to the airport to get him the hell out of town. Uh, he ruined that team last year. Ruined it. Now, again, it's never a question about Kyrie Irving's talent as far as playing the game. He's a tremendously talented player. Hit the huge three for Cleveland when LeBron and company, and he won the championship against that 73-win Warriors team uh, three years ago. Um, but that's also three years ago. It's a lot of miles on, on, on shaky legs, right? The guy came into the league off of a major injury. That's why he only played about seven games in college. He's had a couple of injuries since. Uh, now, granted, he's 27. I think he'll be 28 by the time the season rolls around. So it's not terribly old. But again, he's been in the league a long time. See, that's the thing people need to understand about all these guys, that, these one-and-done guys. And, and, and it's weird to me how nobody seems to bring this up. And that is, yeah, guys could only be 27, 28, 29, and seemingly in the prime of their career, but not if you've been in a league nine years, and particularly if you've been on teams that have made the playoffs, because that's extra games and extra mileage. So again, same thing with Durant. I mean, Durant, yeah, he's 29 right now. He's going to miss all next year. He's 30, rather. He's going to miss all next year. He's coming off a major, major injury, which is the Achilles injury. Probably the worst injury a basketball player could have. And, you know, by the time that season rolls around where he's going to play, he's going to be like 32. Again, and I understand, you know, he's got the baby face or whatever. Durant's been in the league 10 years, 11 years now. And, this again, this is a guy who's been in the playoffs, I think, every year he's been in the league. Maybe his rookie year when he was on the Sonics. And that's a, by the way, again, that's how long Kevin Durant's been around. Played for Seattle Supersonics before they got hijacked and got moved to Oklahoma City, one of the great boondoggles of all time. Thank you very much, Commissioner, former Commissioner David Stern. But, uh, so Durant's been around forever now. And look, I get it. I mean, uh, you know, the, to me, this reeks of a very Knicks-like move, which is a, you know, they got, the Nets had, they were staying true to their plan, slow and steady, made massive improvements and strides from two years ago to this year to making the playoffs. Now, look, they, you know, they, they won one game against Philly. Philly's a better team than they were. Um, so rather than kind of stick to the plan, and maybe this was their plan all along, although I don't know that that's necessarily true. You know, they see the shiny objects and they, they go and grab them. But the risk reward here, I think, is, is, is massive. I mean, let's just say, for argument's sake, Irving, all of a sudden, just because he's with his good buddy Durant, who, again, is not playing this year, this upcoming season, right? Let's just say, for argument's sake, that doesn't, you know, uh, alleviate all of his issues where he's constantly grumpy and, you know, 
uh, sour. And look, he's a ball-dominant guard. Guy does not pass much, right? He loves to have the ball in his hands. Let's see how quickly that starts to turn off some of the guys on this that stayed around on this team, like Spencer Dinwiddie, like Joe Harris, like Jared Allen, like Rodion's Kuruks. Like, let's see how well he meshes with the new guys. You know, the Nets, let's just say for argument's sake, the Nets get off to a slow start. Highly, highly probable, by the way, as they're trying to incorporate the new guys in the team. And let's also see if the Nets start DeAndre Jordan over Jared Allen, even though at this stage in their careers, Jared Allen's a better player than DeAndre Jordan. DeAndre Jordan can still contribute as a bench player. A guy can still block some shots, and he can dunk at the rim if you throw him an alley-oop. And if you finish, you know, if you get out on the fast break. But, I mean, DeAndre Jordan's not the same player he used to be either. He's certainly a step slower on defense. So let's see if that creates any issues or tension. But this has, I mean, DeAndre Jordan got four years, $40 million. In two years, that contract's going to be ridiculous. And he's going to probably be done, and nobody's going to want him. And that's going to be stuck with him. That's a very Knicks move right there, is giving a, 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 an aging veteran four years and $40 million, or whatever it is. And let's say Durant does come back. I mean, I think it's perfectly reasonable to assume he is not going to be the same player, given a full year off and the Achilles injury. Now, listen, I understand that the argument with Durant is that the Achilles injury somehow won't affect him that much because his game isn't predicated on playing above the rim anyway. He's basically seven-footer. You know, leaping ability, explosion has never been part of his game anyway. You know, he's a, he can shoot from outside. He's got a mid-range game. He can occasionally post up shorter guys when need be. You know, he's got a very good all-around game. And all those things are true. But this has the makings of being a complete and utter disaster for the Nets. And it's why I'm fine with the Knicks actually not making these moves. I'm on record as saying I did not want Kyrie Irving in a Knicks uniform. Didn't want him here at all. And I actually, I'm, on, I'm, a little, I'm a little bummed out that he ended up on the Nets because, as you all know, if you've listened before, I really started liking the Nets last year. They were fun. I went to that playoff game with my buddy Pete. I actively said, hey, let's go to a Nets game. Let's go to that playoff game, one of these playoff games against uh, Philly. They were really fun to watch last year from their excellent announcers in Spinarkle and uh, Sarah Kustak and, 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 of course, the Birdman, Iron Eagle, who's tremendous, to just their style of play. They were fun to watch. So... You know, and I'm not into all this. Oh, the Nets now took over New York. Look, the Knicks. Uh, by the way, if the Nets, the, the Nets should take over New York. The Knicks are a joke. They've been in a laughable embarrassment for 20 years. Okay, when they finally had things going in the right direction, they made the Carmelo Anthony trade, set this organization back 10 years, and. Uh, there doesn't appear to be much uh, help on the horizon, which brings me to my next point. <laughs> so the Knicks, to be fair, I will say this. 
they rather than fall for the giving Tobias Harris $180 million, which Philadelphia insanely did, or giving Jimmy Butler $175 million, which I think is what he's getting with the Nets. You know, these guys who are second tier players but are getting max contracts, right, which is never a good thing. It's the same thing in the NFL, right? You know, the Redskins used to make this mistake all the time. And, you know, they give Albert Hainsworth $100 million and two years he's off the team. Um, you know, it's it's never a good idea. And the Knicks have fallen victim to this for years and years and years, going for the quick fix, right? So finally, they've said, look, unless they could get the big, what they consider the real franchise guys like Durant, like Irving. Again, I don't think that Irving is, but other people do. Okay. Um, you know, like Kemba Walker, like Kawhi Leonard, although I don't think Kemba Walker is, sorry. Kawhi Leonard certainly is. Um, they weren't going to bite, and they didn't. And look, the bottom line is, look, Kawhi Leonard don't want to be here. Kevin Durant and Irving decided they prefer, if they're going to be in New York, they prefer the Nets, who just made the playoffs over a 17-win Knicks team with the owner that the Knicks have, that nobody can stand. So I get it. Like, the Knicks were sort of forced into this. But again, you throw enough money at a Jimmy Butler or a Tobias Harris, they're going to they're gonna take it, right? They don't, they, don't nece- they, they don't have quite as much leverage as the top-tier guys do that can, you know, join up with their buddy and basically pick what team they want to go to, right? So I'll give the Knicks credit for that. They didn't do what they usually do which is spend like a bunch of drunken sailors on on furlough. So what they did do is they signed guys like Julius Randle, who is an ascending player at 24 years old, a big, burly, but yet athletic power forward, who went for 21-9 and last year. Granted, it was on a not very good Pelicans team. But again, this guy's a former lottery pick, not that, you know, just fairly a few years removed from the Lakers. And look, he was a disaster with the Lakers. We saw the Lakers have been a Knicks-like joke for the last 5 years themselves. They've been completely dysfunctional, right? They had the whole mess with Magic Johnson this year and Rob Palenka. I mean, basically the Lakers are the Mets/Knicks, right? You had an, a legend in Magic Johnson basically decide, you know, he's going to throw everybody under the bus and quit on the team in a very Isaiah Thomas-like fashion, if you will. And then you have Rob Polinka, who's a former agent, like Brody Van Wagenen is a former agent, who's a Mets general manager, is a Lakers general manager, who Magic Johnson basically said is a snake and can't be trusted. You've got Jeannie Buss, the former owner's daughter, now the, the principal owner, who ran her brother out of town a couple of years ago. I mean, they've been a massive soap opera over there in, in L.A. with the Lakers. So I'm not going to, to, to necessarily uh, look at Julius Randle's early tenure in the league with the Lakers and the fact that he wasn't successful and say, oh, this guy can't play. I mean, remember, D'Angelo Russell was a disaster there, too. And they had the whole Nick Young, D'Angelo Russell thing. I mean, they've been a joke. They've been a, 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 a paragon of instability. So... You know, Julius Randle got off that team. He got over to New Orleans, got some consistent minutes, put up some very nice numbers. Now, we'll see. I mean, I remember watching one game against the Knicks. He absolutely lit them up. Now, again, that doesn't say much because the Knicks won 17 games. But it's a three-year deal for like $60 million. 
It's really a two-year deal. The, 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 the Knicks own a team option after three years. So at worst case, he's here for the next two years. They also signed Bobby Portis, who's a guy I've been talking about for the last couple of years. You know, he's unfortunately known more for the incident he got into with uh, Nikola Miritich when they were both on the Bulls where he punched him so badly. Miritich had to, to miss, like, you know, the first 20 games of the year. You hear varying reports about whether or not, you know, at first it was reported it was a sucker punch. Then it was reported that it actually wasn't. Uh, look, it's never a good look when, when, when you deck a teammate like that. Um, but it's a few years back. Um, most of the stuff you read about Portis is that he's intense. He's a, he's a hard-nosed competitor. He's not a bad guy. Uh, look, the guy can play. The guy can play. If he gets consistent minutes, he's a double-double guy. Power forward, backup center type. Um, you know, he's got flaws in his game, right? A bit of a black hole. I mean, the ball goes into him. It doesn't come back out. But the guy, the guy can play. It's essentially a one-year deal. They signed Taj Gibson, who I've always you – know, look, maybe it's because he kills the Knicks and has wherever he's been, whether it's with Chicago or Minnesota, whatever. Um, look, the guy's old. He basically replaces Kurt Thomas. He's a better version of Kurt Thomas. I mean, Kurt Thomas is one of the worst players in the league. We talked about that for a long time. Taj Gibson, you know, is this guy that off the bench can, you know, get you 10 and 10. Um, and, you know, look, this is a guy that, you know, was, I think, a late first-round pick, even though he had a very good career in college because, you know, he's the, he was a tweener um, through hard work, you know, turned himself into a very solid starting player in the NBA. Um, my boy Justin does not like him, by the way. He thinks he's horrible. Uh, we beg to differ on this one. Um, but he, he should be a steady veteran, a steady veteran presence on this team. Um, so that wasn't bad. And then... Uh, so Randall, oh, the Wayne Ellington they signed. I, I, I have no use for Wayne Ellington. He's, a, he's one of these supposedly great three-point shooters. He's not at all that great at, at three-point shooting. Kills the Knicks, of course. Again, not saying much. Um, you know, he, former North Carolina player, has bounced around the league for years. Uh, seems to have improved the last couple of years. Uh, eh, meh. But again, he's basically a one-year deal. The other intriguing player is, is Alfred Payton. So this is a guy, again, another lottery pick from just a few years back that, that, that Scott Perry drafted when he was a GM in Orlando. He's now the Knicks GM. And the Knicks tried to get him two years ago at the trade deadline. They instead ended up with Emmanuel Moutier. Um, but, look, Payton played very well last year before he got hurt. It looked like New Orleans was going to be pretty good before all the Anthony Davis saga stuff. Because remember, the year before, they, they beat Portland in the playoffs. And they had Boogie Cousins, and they had Anthony Davis, and they had Drew Holiday. Um, and those guys all played great. So they paired Peyton with Holiday so Holiday could play more off the ball. Peyton is, is definitely a pass-first, defense-first point guard. Not much of a shooter still. But he gets after it on defense, and, and he can penetrate, and he does pass. Um, he was playing well, and then he got hurt. But I think he averaged like 10.7 assists before he got hurt. And again, he plays defense, which is a nice change of pace for anybody on the Knicks. Um, and again, I think he's like 24-25. So, and and at, at, at worst, he should provide 
some stiff competition for Dennis Smith Jr. Uh, at best, let's say he beats Dennis Smith Jr. out. Dennis Smith Jr. right now has the kind of game that probably translates well to being a bench player, which is he's a guy who's a scorer and first point guard, right? He's a guy who likes to play up-tempo and fast, get out on the break. So that could work out well. Um, you know, I think at worst he's a solid backup to Dennis Smith Jr. Let's, just, let's say Dennis Smith Jr., who's still, I think, all of 21, Right, puts it together. Apparently, he's been working hard with Keith Smart, assistant coach for the Knicks, on on re recreating his shot, um, his outside shot, his jump shot. So at least you know what? Look, give the kid credit. He recognized that it's a flaw in his game. And he's trying to work on it. Now we'll see if if he's successful. But at least he recognizes it. That's an encouraging sign. So. What the Knicks did is basically they added a couple of solid veteran presence guys in Ellington and Taj Gibson, a couple of young guys with upside in Randall Portis and Peyton. They also signed this guy, Reggie Bullock, although it looks like now he's not going to come here, or if he does, it's good. the deal's going to be less. I don't know. There's some issue with his physical. Now they might be getting Marcus Morris instead, who looks like he's backing out of his deal with the Spurs. Um, but look, it, it, so I don't, I don't hate the moves. Okay, and they'll they'll still be well positioned for free agency um, when other guys become available. But you know, look, the bottom line is those guys didn't want to come here. Kawhi didn't want to come. Durant, Irving, none of those guys wanted to come here. So, listen, you you can only do so much. You know, Knicks fans went nuts. Uh, It didn't bother me. I mean, they've been they've been a joke for so long anyway. And by the way, I said this months ago. You just know if they were if they would have signed Irving and Durant, that would have been an unmitigated shit show. You know it would have been. You know it would have been. Irving would have been by by game fifteen all bent out of shape and, and at war with the media, while Durant probably went, went in, would would go into hiding because he wasn't going to play this year, right? And then by the time Durant came back, you know the team would probably be in a state of disarray. And he'd probably either get hurt again or would be a shell of his, of his former self. I mean, you just know it would have gone bad. And then, we, of course, you know, the Lakers traded for Anthony Davis. So now they're pairing him with LeBron. They also got uh, Boogie Cousins, which should be interesting because Davis and Cousins played together in New Orleans with some mixed results. Uh, they also brought back Rondo. Who, listen, Rondo can play, we all know that, and should be perfect on a team like that where, you know, he's not a scorer, he's a pass-first point guard anyway. Um, Still don't know who's shooting on that team. I think they picked up Avery Bradley, who, uh, after looking like he was going to be a very good player when he was with Boston, has really kind of fallen off a cliff the last couple years. I think injuries have had something to do with it. Um, But not really sure where they're going to get shooting from. I mean, they still have Kuzma on that team, too. And I guess he'll maybe now just be a three-point guy, you know, at 6'10", but that's how the league is now. Um, but, I mean, look, uh, LeBron, even 85 90% of, you know, vintage LeBron is still better than 90% of the league, and we all know Anthony Davis can play. So that, that just those two guys there alone should be uh, enough to at least get them to the playoffs. And then, but you know, look, the rest of that team is going to be all role players. And it's either going to be young guys or veterans on one year deals. 
um, because, you know, all their money is tied up in basically two guys. And then the Clippers pulled off the coup of the century by getting Kawhi and then trading for Paul George. Now, look, I've never been a big Paul George guy, right? He dumbly, idiotically dubbed himself Playoff P last year when the guy never won a thing in the playoffs. I'll give him credit for this, though. I watched a lot of those games this year in Oklahoma City in the playoffs. Guy was clearly playing with a bad shoulder, and yes, he didn't shoot particularly well, but the guy played his heart out. I give him credit for that. He really did. And he had some good games. And look, he is a very good on-the-ball defender. We know Kawhi Leonard is probably the best overall defender in the league. So the Clippers, and look, Doc Rivers is one of the best coaches in the league. Clippers are going to be a handful now. Should be very interesting. The West just got a ton more interesting with a diminished Golden State, although, again, don't count them out, but certain, clearly a diminished Golden State. Lakers, Clippers, don't ever count out San Antonio, Denver, right, Portland. It's going to be interesting. West is going to be very interesting. Now, getting back to the Knicks... Um, look, I'll be the first to admit I thought the R.J. Barrett pick was a, was, was a good pick. I'll also be the first to admit uh, I didn't know that much about this draft. The guy I really wanted was John Morant, a point guard out of Murray State. He went number two to Memphis. Um, you know, Darius Garland, the kid from, from Vanderbilt, the other point guard we talked about. Look, the guy played five games in college. I mean, you know, I, I'm gonna pretend, at Vanderbilt. I'm going to pretend I know anything about him other than what I read. Never saw him play. Barrett, at least I saw him play a little bit. Uh, I've watched his first three summer league games, and I understand in summer league you take it with a grain of salt either way, whether a guy performs really well or performs poorly. But um, R.J. Barrett looks atrocious. I mean, absolutely atrocious. And, and it's not just about the fact that he can't shoot, which he can't. And by the way, is there anything more on brand for the Knicks, as they like to say today, on brand, than... Drafting a shooting guard who can't shoot. I mean, is there... Is there so, I mean, look, the kid shot 30% from three in college. Now, mind you, the three-point line in college is much closer than it is in the NBA. So that's a horror. That's a terrible sign. Also shot like 67% from the foul line in college. Not very good for a guard. I mean, that's subpar for any player. You can live with it if it's a, if it's a big man. But certainly a guard needs to be at least in the high 70s as far as percentage from the foul line. Now, to be fair to him, he doesn't look like he has a horrible stroke. So, I mean, maybe some of it's concentration, confidence, whatever. Um, but let's take away the, the fact that he, he can't shoot right now, okay? And I, as his 7 for 40 or whatever it was in the first two games well, test last night was a little bit better, six for fourteen, but one for four from three. Um, you know, and look, guys have come into the league not being able to shoot particularly well, and have at least gotten themselves to be uh, adequate at it. You know, Magic, Jason Kidd, just to name a couple. You know, Patrick Ewing wasn't known for being a great shooter when he first came in the league. Turned himself into probably one of the best shooting big men in the history of the league. So. You know, look, they, those things, you, you can improve those things. But the big issue to me is he looks like he has zero athleticism. I mean, he's playing against guys on the Raptors last night, guys that are probably hard-pressed to make the Raptors roster, right? These aren't 
other high lottery picks like him. These are back-of-the-roster guys, D-league guys, and he can't get around anybody. He can't beat anybody off the dribble. He can't penetrate. I mean, yeah, he had a couple of nice finishes in the lane, but he had guys draped all over him because he can't get by anybody. He seems to have very little quick, very little to no quickness at all. No explosion. I, I mean, I, listen, maybe it's because he hadn't played for a few months and he's got dead legs or whatever and he's rusty. Uh, I mean, I hope that's what it is because he looks like he's going to be one of the all-time busts of all time. And listen, I understand it's three games in Summer League. But again, you know, uh, Iggy Brzezakis, their second-round pick, the kid from Michigan, who I actually saw play a few times this year because he went to Michigan. I'm a Maryland guy, and they're in the Big Ten, and I watched him play against Maryland twice. And by the way, he killed Maryland in one of the games. I mean, he had a game two nights ago where he had 30 points. But, you, I mean, you could just see, he's, you know, banging threes, you know, going baseline, throwing down dunks. You know, he's a 6'8", six, 6'9", six, forward. I mean, you could see, though, the athleticism, the explosion, the aggressiveness. And that's one thing everybody says about the, the, this kid is that his aggressiveness is through the roof. His confidence is through the roof. I mean, you could tell there's stuff to work with. It's like last year. You could, you could tell Mitchell Robinson was raw as raw could be, but you could see the speed, the athleticism, the explosion, the shot-blocking ability. Same thing with Alonzo Trier. Yeah, he's a total ball hog and a gunner, but you could tell that the guy's got offensive skills. He's a guy that's got a great handle and a great stop-and-start game and a guy that can get past guys and get his own shot. I don't see any of that. From R.J. Barrett, it's, the same, it's like it's almost like watching a lefty Frank Nilakina. Not quite that bad, but almost that bad. And then there's Kevin Knox. I mean, please, please. I understand he had a great summer league last year, uh, and then had a horrendous rookie year. Um, and I guess he had a couple of decent games. I watched him that game last night. He was three for fifteen. He the ball goes in his hands, immediately goes up. He's a total gunner. I mean, again, summer league games, maybe they're telling him to shoot like that. I don't know. Uh, again, there's just this kid is going to have to be so good for me to like him. I mean, I just, I just can't. You know, with his very passive body language, uh, he's, just, he's, he's just not my kind of player. Certainly not a Knicks player from, from what I grew up with. I mean, I grew up with the intensity and the, 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 the game face of Bernard King to Patrick Ewing to Oakley, to Starks. I mean, guys that got after it. Anthony Mason. I mean, you know. Even Derek Harper. I mean, Christ, even Charlie Ward. I mean, that guy gave you everything he had. You know, look, far from a perfect player. I mean, Christ, the guy was a college star college football player. And it's interesting. If Charlie Ward would have played in today's era, he might have been top 10 pick. Might have been top 10 pick. I mean, look, he's 6'1". Right? Mobile quarterback, good arm. And Kyler Murray was the first overall pick. He's 5'9". I think Charlie Ward was kind of born at the wrong time to, be, to, be, to play in the NFL. But now look, I mean, the guy, the guy played in the NBA for, what, 10 years? So... Not don't shed a tear for Charlie Ward. I'm just saying it's interest. I think it's I think it's uh, an interesting sort of what if that Charlie Ward played now in this era football. I think he'd be a top ten pick. 
So look, I don't want to bury the poor kid, R.J. Barrett, just yet. Look, again, it's the same thing with the Mets. The default with the Knicks is to expect the worst. So again, hopefully this is just a function of the fact that, you know, he's getting his sea legs under him, um, you know, with a lot of time off in between the college season and now, you know, maybe he's probably, you know, he's probably pressing and trying too hard. You know, that first game when he played against Zion, I mean, it was ridiculously overhyped. You had, you know, LeBron James was at the game. Other stars from, uh, you know, other industries were at the game. You know, he looked awful, you know, whatever. I don't want to put too much on it. Again, what, what I, I don't care necessarily about results. And last night, you know, he had 10 rebounds and six assists. Uh, you know, he got a lot of that in garbage time. I'm not necessarily looking at the results. I just, you know, what do I see? What do my eyes tell me? And right now, again, this looks to me like a guy who, as a shooting guard, doesn't really shoot it all that well, got a lot of his points in college by getting to the rim and scoring in the lane, and it looks like he's not going to be able to do that very successfully in the NBA right now. All right, we'll take a short break. I'll be back with baseball right after this. All right, we're back here on a Wednesday edition of Jamal About Sports. So, uh, all-star game was last night. Don't care. Um, I'm glad Alonzo had a base hit and two RBIs and made a nice scoop at first base. I saw when I flipped over to it for about four seconds. Uh, Don't care. Alonzo won the home run derby. Also, don't care. I mean, listen, I'm thrilled for him. He's so likable. He's such a good kid. Um, But, you know, the home run derby to me is meaningless. So don't really care about that. Uh, I mean, I guess, you know, as, as a Mets fan, uh, if it gets you excited, that's fine. You're looking for, you know, any silver lining in an otherwise, yet again, another miserable, miserable season as a Mets fan. Miserable. And the Mets sit at 40 and 50, so there's 72 games left. So, I mean, the Mets would have to go 40 and 32 just to get to 80 wins. Don't see it happening. Bullpen continues to be a complete and utter disaster. Uh, Diaz has been, as we all know, awful. Now, he does tease you every now and then. You know, he had the one outing against the Yankees where he looked great, but then he came back and was awful the next time. Um, Callaway insists on using him in, in games that are not safe situations, even though his numbers in those, even going back to his days in Seattle, are horrendous. Callaway seems completely overmatched, as always. Um, you know, Lugo's good one game, then terrible the next. Gaselman has stunk all year. Um, you know, Familia has been wretched. It just, I mean, the, the bullpen is just, it's just an atrocity. And then you also, you know, factor in again the albatross that is Robinson Cano. And we've gone over it a million times. So I'm not, I'm not going to rehash what a disaster Robinson Cano is for this team. But here's what I will say. If Brody Van Wagenen... See, I don't, under, I don't think that Brody Van Wagenen quite understands, and certainly the Wilpons don't. And, and I don't know that the, 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 even the, the people that cover the team, the beat writers understand just how broken the trust between the team and its fan base is. See, we don't believe anything anymore that comes out of anybody's mouths with the Mets. 
okay? Brody Van Wagenen, look, he might be the greatest human being to ever walk the face of the earth. From a Mets fan's point of view, he seems like Elmer Gantry. He is a snake oil salesman here to be hired by his golfing buddy, Jeff Wilpon, to provide cover for the cowardly ownership of the Mets. That's what he looks like. I don't know if that's what it is, but that's what Mets fans see. Right? The perfectly coiffed hair and his $400 sunglasses. Right? All that stuff, all of his his idiotic bravado, come get us, we're the team to beat. And his big move has sunk this team. Plus, he gave up the two best prospects in the system in doing so for no reason. Plus, to add insult to injury, Jay Bruce, who they tried to ship to the other side of the country, has come back into their division with Philly and is killing the Mets. He has four home runs against the Mets. Robinson Cano has four home runs on the season in a year where my grandmother could hit 10 home runs. And Jay Bruce has four home runs against the Mets. And Cano has four home runs on the year. Denny Echevarria, who's a backup middle infielder for the Mets, who's never displayed any power in his career, has five home runs. By the way, all of them to right center field, but the ball's not juiced. Okay. That's how bad Robinson Cano has been. Four home runs, 18 RBIs. And even lately when he's, kind of, he's gotten his batting average up to a whopping 240, uh, his hits are all seeing high, seeing high si- uh, singles or, or bloop hits. He's not hitting the ball hard. His defense at second base is an atrocity. He has no range anymore. Can't get to anything. Mets have lost at least three games because of him defensively. So in a season where Pete Alonso makes the all-star team and is everything you want in a player, and Jeff McNeil makes the all-star team and is everything you want in a player, and both those guys, by the way, make a combined million dollars, even though the Mets want to cry poverty and complain about payroll restrictions, your two best players make a million dollars combined and your two best players, this front office saw no value in. None. Because if they did, they would have never traded for Robinson Cano because he plays the same position Jeff McNeil plays. You would have never signed Jed Lowry to be a utility guy if you thought McNeil could be a utility guy, but that's what the Mets are trying to use him as now. You also would have never signed Jed Lowry, who hasn't played a game, of course, for the Mets, because part of that was designed to have Lowry play a majority of the games at third base, and then maybe Frazier would play first base because they were hedging their bets against Alonzo. So this front office has already proven that it can't even evaluate its own players, let alone somebody else's. The two best players on the team by far are Mike McNeil and Alonzo. Wilson Ramos has hit okay, Worst defensive catcher in the National League by far. Awful. Nine pass balls. Pitchers hate throwing to him. DeGrom don't want to pitch to him. Syndergaard doesn't want to pitch to him. Nine pass balls, and, then, and that's not even to mention the balls that he doesn't even block that are in the dirt because he can't move anymore. The guy's a DH. He's a DH. And his throwing has been horrendous too, by the way. Now, 
to be fair, so a lot of that's on the Mets pitchers. You know, even though the Mets manager is a pitching coach, the Mets can't hold anybody on base. It's funny. I thought all the pitching problems were supposed to go away after they fired Dave Island and they hired 82-year-old Phil Regan. If anything, the pitching has gotten worse. The stolen bases against the pitchers have gotten worse since Phil Regan got here. Now, listen, I don't want to blame Phil Regan. You know, guys had a long and storied career in baseball as a pitcher, as a coach, whatever. It's not Phil Regan's fault. But just like it wasn't Dave Island's fault either. So, but I mean, look, if I, let's go around and do grades, shall we? We'll do grades. We're at the all-star break. Let's do grades. We'll go start a catcher, Wilson Ramos. All right, he's on pace for about 80 RBIs, which is pretty good from a catcher. But the defense has been horrendous. I'd say C+. First base, Alonzo gets an A. Second base, Cano, F. Shortstop, Ahmed Rosario. Again, there's another one. His defense has been an atrocity this year, inexplicably. I mean, I don't understand how a 23-year-old who showed signs last year, at least. I mean, he got off to a very bad start playing defense last year. Got better as the season wore on. His defense this year, forget about the errors. It's the plays that he doesn't make that are plays that need to be made if you're going to be a top-quality shortstop in, in baseball. And he doesn't get to anything. I mean, he never makes an above-average play. You can't have that as a shortstop. And his offense is not that great. Again, he's on pace for, uh, you know, 16 home runs, 80 RBIs. That sounds good from a shortstop. Again, remember, folks, we're playing in in an era now where everybody hits home runs. 20 home runs does not mean what it used to mean. So the fact that Rosario's got nine home runs already this year and he had nine all of last year, I don't care. By the way, I don't want Rosario trying to hit home runs. With his speed, he should be hitting line drives in the gap. He should give you 40 doubles and 10 triples a year. And if he hits some home runs, fine. But he doesn't walk at all. His OPS is 700 because he still doesn't walk. I mean, the batting average is okay, 250. But the on-base percentage is only 290 because he never walks. So I'd say Rosario gets, gets a C. Again, this guy's supposed to be one of your young core players. And then Frazier at third base. Frazier actually, despite a horrendous start to the year, has been, sadly, one of the Mets' better players the last month and a half, two months. He's solid with the glove, and he's actually gotten some clutch hits, too. I give him a B-. minus. I never thought I'd say that, but you got to be fair. And then you go to the outfield. Conforto in right field. I mean, look, again, he's another one. The numbers look okay. What, he's got 16 home runs, 40-something RBIs. Uh, he's got a lot of Kevin McReynolds in his game. A lot of meaningless window dressing statistics. He's an atrocious right fielder. Again, not his fault. Shouldn't be playing there to begin with. Certainly shouldn't be playing center field. He should only play left field where he's actually adequate. But the Mets, of course, are such a mess and so poorly constructed and ill-conceived that they keep shoehorning guys that have no business playing the positions that they're playing into those positions. But, I mean, Conforto's hitting like 249, 250. That's ridiculous. He should be a 300 hitter. At least that's what we were all led to believe, and he's shown flashes. But guess what? You know, he's been in the league now since 2015. Maybe that's just who he is, which is just a real streaky hitter. Guess what? I don't need it. Goodbye. 
You can get something for him of value. Goodbye. Everybody on this team should be trade bait except for Alonzo and McNeil. Everybody else you could have. Everybody. But we'll get to that in a second. Uh, center field, I mean, I guess you, you throw Juan Lagares in there, it's hitting 175. <laughs> it's hitting 175. I mean, I, again, what is he even still doing on the team? Rajah Davis, listen, I understand he's not part of your future. He's 38 years old or whatever. He's a much better option than Juan Lagares, except he's toiling away at AAA. Remember when he came up for about four days and the jolt of life and energy he brought to this team? Hit a home run, I think, in his first at-bat. I mean, the guy's just, he's always been on winning teams. He's a winner. Juan Lagares, uh, listen, I, I was one of his biggest supporters for years. The guy's not a major league player anymore. He's just not. The defense, which used to be outstanding, is, is not what it used to be. And he can't hit. I mean, he, he's got to go. But guess why he's still here? Because he's making $9 million this year. It's the only reason. Otherwise, he'd be gone. They got rid of Carlos Gomez. Juan Lagares worse than Carlos Gomez. But Carlos Gomez won making $9 bucks. And then left field, I mean, I guess now Dominic Smith is the everyday left fielder, a lumbering first baseman. I mean, it's unbelievable. And again, not his fault, and he's hit pretty well. I mean, I give him a B-. minus. Who else on the team? Thomas Nito. I mean, he's been okay. I give him a C+. Plus. He's hit more than I thought he would, and he's a decent defensive catcher. All right. You know, he's a classic backup catcher, though. I mean, you could maybe live with him as your starting catcher if all your other positions were locked down, super, you know, really good hitters and players. And then you go to the pitching staff. I mean, look, DeGrom has been pretty good. You know, he had, he had a rough start to the year. Since then, he's been actually very good with a sub-3 ERA. Of course, the Mets never win when he pitches anyway. I think there's something like 16-40 and 40 in his last 56 starts. I mean, it's one thing for DeGrom to not get the wins personally on his own ledger. It's another thing for the Mets team to always lose these games that he pitches where he goes seven innings, gives up one or two runs. I mean, it's, it's a joke. It's a joke. You know, he leaves with the lead, the bullpen blows it, and then the Mets never come back to win. It's like all the air goes out of everybody. It's like, oh, here we go again. We did it again. Or they just lose one nothing or 2-1 when he pitches because they never score any runs for the guy. He's had, I'd give him a B. But here's the thing, and this is, again, this is, the Mets will never do this. But if the Mets were serious about trying to, to, to revamp this disaster of a roster and overhaul this thing and do it the way it's supposed to be done, because they're not any good, okay? They stunk in 17. They were terrible last year. They're going to be terrible. This is three years in a row now being bad, but with that, with refusing to rebuild. So they're in the, they're, they're the worst possible situation, which is they've got aging, veteran, high-salary players, but they also lose games. So you're blocking young players from playing, and you're not trading valuable assets for guys that, you can, help, that, that can help you rebuild. And listen, I don't want to hear about trading Zach Wheeler at the deadline. The, the, the Mets aren't going to get a lot for him because he's going to be a free agent, right? Even though teams love him and they look at that guy and they say, look, let us get our hands on him. We can turn this guy into the stud that everybody thinks he's going to be. 
and the guy that went 10 and 1 down, you know, in the second half of the year last year with a sub 2 ERA. And the stuff is there. I mean, you can see the stuff is there. And we all and like I've been pointing out all year, you know, the Mets front office scratches their heads as to why Wheeler and Syndergaard and Matt, why are these guys all with good stuff all have, and they're healthy all have mid-4 ZRA? Well, maybe because you put the worst defense possible behind them. And again, it's not just about the errors. It's about the cumulative effect, having the plays that don't get made, that get scored hits. It's extra pitches. It's extra effort. It's a whole cumulative effect that that has. It's also, by the way, seeps into the minds of the pitchers. Now they're afraid to pitch to contact. That's why you see these guys' walks are up. Guys that, I mean, Syndergaard never walked anybody. He had three walks in an inning this year for the first time in his career. You're going to tell me these guys aren't afraid to pitch to contact now because they know the guys behind them can't field, they don't get to anything. You know how many pop flies have dropped for hits this year that have to be easy, easy outs if you have the right guys playing, it's happened a ton. All you got to do is watch the Mets. I watch every Met game. I don't need – by the way, Fangraphs has the Mets as the worst defense in baseball, and they are up there in errors. But, again, it's not just about the errors. But what the Mets need to do – so they're not going to get a lot for, for Wheeler. And, by the way, I wouldn't trust Brody Van Wagenen based on his short track record – at all anyway, but you got to try to do something. And you know the Wilpons aren't going to admit a mistake and fire Van Wagenen after one year. I would, but they won't. Um, you're not going to get much for Wheeler. You're not going to get anything for Todd Frazier of significance. I mean, you, know, you might get a, a high A player who's got some upside or something like that, maybe. Uh and who's the other pending free agent that they have? Syndergaard. Oh, no, not Syndergaard. Wheeler. Frazier. I can't think of the other one. Anyway, my point is those guys aren't moving the needle. You know who's going to move the needle? DeGrom. I hate to say it, but look, the Mets don't win any games with him anyway. <laughs> and look, I love Jacob DeGrom. I would love for the Mets to put a competent team around him and the rest of the pitching staff and have them be competitive. But that simply is not the case. So what he's not doing you any good. The way he can do you good is in this pitching market where teams want guys that are controllable, which he is. Now, granted, the Mets just gave him a big contract. It's okay. The teams that would want him, first of all, everybody in baseball has money now. Okay, Everybody. The, 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 the sport is flush with cash based on all the new TV contracts and all that other stuff. They got, there's plenty of money. So even a team like, say, the Rangers you could, would, and would, would maybe be in the market for DeGrom. Or a team like the White Sox, who are ascending and need that, that, that stud, top-of-the-rotation guy so that the guys like Lucas Giolito can slot in behind him. The Red Sox, obviously, could use him in a heartbeat. The Yankees could use him in a heartbeat. Right? For as good as the Yankees are, this is their starting rotation right now. James Paxton, eh. CeCe Sabathia, eh. Tanaka, eh. Domingo Herman. I mean, look, maybe he's had a great year. If you're a Yankees fan, are you confident in game one of the ALCS and he's going to go up against Verlander? Who would you rather have, DeGrom or Domingo Herman? 
Jay Happ is the Yankees' fifth starter right now. I mean, the, the, the Yankees' starting staff doesn't scare anybody. Maybe you're going to get Severino back late in the year. Maybe, you know, that would be a bonus if you did. And then you don't even know how effective he'll be when he, if, he, if and when he comes back. And the Yankees have the farm system to do it. They've got the young players to do it. Now, if I'm the Mets and I'm trading for, and I'm trading Jacob deGrom, uh, I want either Torres or Miguel Andujar, number one. Don't, don't, don't talk to me about Clint Frazier, okay? Clint Frazier is a concussion waiting to happen. He's already had three of them. He's always injured. You know that the Mets, with, their, with the history of injured players, n- never good. Plus, he's got attitude issues. I mean, think about it. Clint Frazier can't fit into the culture with the Yankees, one of the easiest, most professional organizations in all of sports where there's rarely ever any issues anymore there, and he's having issues. Imagine what he would be like on this clown show that is the New York Mets. It would be a disaster waiting to happen. So he could be part of a trade, but he's not going to be the centerpiece of a trade. I need guys like Andujar because the Mets are going to need a third baseman. And I know he's out for the year this year, and I know his defense is a little shaky, but I need either him or Gleyber Torres to start. Then I need the Yankees' best pitching prospect and probably Clint Frazier. That's what I'm getting. And if you don't want to give me that, then fine. Then end the discussion. See, I'm not going to trade Jacob deGrom just to trade him. I'm going to trade him with the idea that this is going to be like the Herschel Walker trade was for the Cowboys way back when. I'm going to get three to four major league ready players that are going to immediate at, at positions of dire need such as third base center field to name two that are going to come in and contribute right away right away being next year maybe the back half of this year but whatever this season is done for the Mets they're out of it they're completely done but the Mets won't do that but that's what they should do If they were serious about turning this thing around, it's really their only course of action. All the other stuff is basically window dressing. All right, that's going to do it for this week's show. As always, catch us on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, SoundCloud, wherever you get your podcasts. Check us out on Twitter, at Jamal about Sport No S. You can also check us out on the website, jamalaboutsports.com, Facebook page, Jamal About Sports. That will do it for this week. Thanks for listening. Peace out.